holy is your name. Our Father in heaven. Lord, today, again, we fix our eyes on you. The author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, we thank you that we can be confident today about this very thing. That he who has begun a good work within us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you. You don't ever start anything without bringing it to a wonderful conclusion. We thank you. You don't ever leave anything midway. You're fully committed. You're fully involved. You're with us all the way. And Lord, we confidently say today, not out of pride, not out of arrogance, not out of any kind of self-strength, but we confidently say, if God is for us, and you are for us, you've proved, you have proved like no other that you're for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Lord Jesus, we thank you. Come on, church, lift your hands up. Oh, yeah, we can applaud him today. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you in this place. And we rest, we rest in your unfailing love. We rest and we receive your peace. Right now, just receive his peace. You may have come in here burdened by life. So many things in life suddenly attach themselves to us and you're busy all the time trying to shake them off, trying to shake yourself free. But sometimes it fastens itself. The worries and the concerns fasten themselves around us. But I'm telling you now, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace, I don't know how he does it, but he does it. All of that mountain of worry can suddenly be dissolved in just a matter of moments because he loves us, because he cares for us. He's perfect, perfect in all of his ways. Lord, right now I pray for your wonderful peace right across this room, right across every heart. Calm every storm. Encourage every heart that may be low or discouraged or questioning. Do what only you can do, Jesus. No man or no woman can take credit for it. We can't do anything, but you can do everything. And you're so willing. Jesus right now, Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace, wash over this place. Wash away the worries. Wash away the cares. Wash away the nagging anxieties of the world, the cares of the day. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give him another shout. Why don't we give him a shout, church? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Amen. And let's say a big thank you to our musicians this morning. Wonderful. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk to you, continue in some ways about what we've been talking about, but I want to change it slightly and begin to talk about trusting God. Trusting God when you can't trace Him. Over the months we've been looking at Joseph's life, and as a young man you can see very early on in that he was a young man that had to trust God through many of the circumstances that he went through, through many of the events that faced him that he didn't understand, this young man exemplifies a life of trust. Lots of times in life, our trust gets broken. You know, maybe we grow up in a home where we want to trust our parents, we want to trust the world around us, but slowly but surely that trust gets broken and smashed and crushed. And we find ourselves in a place like a wounded little creature struggling to trust anything on the outside because within us, that place of trust and that place of wanting to connect has been broken. There are so many occasions in life that want to come and break this ability that we want to have to trust and to reach, and to connect, and to hold on to. Joseph, you look through his life as we've done, and we're going to really come to a conclusion on that today, but you look at his life and you see uh, one event after another event after another event rose up and communicated a strong message saying, you can't trust God because you can't trace him in the world in which you live. You can't trust God. You can't connect with God because the events and the circumstances of your life are too severe. I wonder today if you find yourself in a similar situation where the voice of circumstance, where an unforeseen crisis has come crashing down on your life and it declares to you, you can't trust God in this situation because you can't trace him. Because you can't see him. You're at the end of yourself. But as we've spoken about Joseph, we saw at the end of his life, as he held on to God, as he didn't compromise, as he didn't let go of his faith, God brought him into everything that he promised. I'm telling you now, when you listen to God and when God says something to you, you can guarantee it. It's going to come to pass. You can put your weight on it. You can put your faith in it. You can put your trust in it. You can anchor your life to it. It's going to come to pass because he's spoken it. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. Come hell or high water, God is committed to you to get you through into everything that he's promised for your life. And he's promised wonderful things for each one of us. I believe that exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. Maybe today our lives aren't in that place where 
It's exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. Maybe our lives today, if we were to look at it and if we were to examine it, it seems as if it's shrinking back. It seems as if it's regressing. It seems as if it's going the wrong way. But usually with God, the wrong way is the right way. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As we've said, and we see this from Joseph's life, and at the end of his life, he caps off all of the events that are behind him with an amazing statement. He says, what was meant for evil, God meant it for good. God meant it for good. It doesn't matter. And when I say it doesn't matter, I'm not, you know, talking about being careless about life or, or you know, discounting your hurt and your pain. I'm not talking about that, but what I'm saying is it doesn't matter. Whatever we're facing today, what, the, what has been designed for evil in your life, God can take that and bring good out of it. We're going to look over the next few weeks at David's life and how God took evil and turned it to good. God doesn't instigate evil. He doesn't tempt us with evil. He's very clear about that. He never wants to bring you down. He never wants to, you know, bring temptation in your life to lead you away from him. On the contrary, God wants to make you strong. God wants to build you up. God wants you to succeed in life. God wants you to rise and conquer the circumstances that seem so severe, that seem so opposed to you going forward. But when evil comes, as it does, God uses it as a pawn on a chessboard. God uses it to lead you on through and to bring you into a place that you never thought was possible. This is what we see in Joseph's life, but not only in Joseph's life. This is what we see amazingly in David's life. Do you know, one of the things that characterizes David is this simple heart of trust. He just trusted God. He just believed God amidst all of the confusing voices of his time, amidst all of the circumstances that came to knock him off course, amidst the highs and the lows of life, amidst his wonderful relationship with God amidst his his separation from God when he sinned so terribly and messed up in the midst of all of the confusion of life amidst all of the changes he had in amidst it all this simple childlike faith this heart of trust he trusted God you know lots of times you know as the kids grow up You stand at the bottom of the stairs and they want to jump off into your arms. Every single one. They they do it from, you know, the second step up. And then they, they, once they get confident on the second step, they go to the third step. And before you know it, they're trying to jump off the top of the stairs. Daddy, catch me. And you've got to correct them. You've got to say, no, don't go up that high, whatever you do. Otherwise, you're going to take dad out as well. But you begin to develop this relationship through simple little incidents like that. You, de- you develop this relationship of trust. Now just imagine if one day I, you know, we were going through this, this little 
activity with the kids and one of them, daddy, daddy, catch me. And then mid-flow, mid-flow through the air, I just turn my back on them and walk away and they go crashing into the floor. I guarantee it, that's going to be the end of all of the trust that I've built up with that little child. It's going to be the end of of that connection that I have with them because in their moment of just sheer delight to jump into my arms, they find me walking away and turning my back on them and going the other way and suddenly they get hurt and injured and they, they, they fall because I've failed them. And very often, you know, we... Oh, Google's on. Pardon? We all need answers, but I don't need Google answers this morning. We need God answers for our lives. Do you know what? Very often, we start out in life trusting others, and suddenly that trust gets broken for whatever reason. Whether, whether we, we go through failure in, in a relationship, whether we go fa- through failure in our business, it can be 101 things, but trust gets broken and we become suspicious. We become suspicious of people, our hearts become hard, and then suddenly we, we walk into this relationship with God whose love is perfect towards us. We walk into a relationship with God who is full of wonderful promises full of declarations over your life that says, I want to help you. I want to bring you through. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be faithful to you. But very often, the suspicions that are carried in our hearts struggle to trust the God that loves us so unconditionally. And with a broken life and a broken heart and, and suspicious thoughts in our minds, We struggle to connect with such a loving God that wants to help us, wants to be with us, and wants to bring us through and hold our hand through the cares and the troubles of life. David, this young kid, trusted God. He starts at the lowest point of life. He's just a simple shepherd boy like thousands of other shepherd boys in his country. He's tending the sheep. It's not a glamorous life. It's the most humiliating experience. He's the lowest of the low. It's counted as the most despised vocation of the time. And David's wearing the shepherd's coat. And he's doing the the lowest and the menialist tasks. And then suddenly one day a prophet comes called Samuel He wants to choose the next king of Israel. Cut a long story short, David's the boy that's called to be king one day. And then through strange circumstances and events, he goes onto the battlefield. He defeats a giant that's defying the armies of Israel. The Philistines are wanting to overthrow Israel, David's country. And this young kid stands up. When all of the other soldiers and all of the other warriors are running for their lives. And through simple trust in God, through simple faith, 
he defeats Goliath, the giant, and the Philistines flee through simple trust. He opens a door with a key that nobody else was using. He opens a door for the nation with a key that nobody else was holding. He holds, a, uh, he holds a key in his hand that had been given to him in the lowest moments of his life in the backside of a desert looking after sheep. And he had this key of trust that God had given him, that God had put and forged into his spirit. And I tell you now, that key of trust took him through every door, every door that stood in front of him as a young man, as an, 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 as an old king. That key of trust in God took him through every opposing door, every opposing obstacle. I'm telling you now, if you can trust God, you've got a wonderful future. You really have. God is so desperate to be with every single one of us. He wanted to make it as easy as possible when he said, only believe. That's all you have to do. Only believe me. Only believe the words that I've spoken to you. Only believe the dream that I've given you. Only believe those seed-like thoughts that I'm putting into your spirit. Only believe trust. If you hold the key of trust in your hand today, it doesn't matter what door is close to you, you're going to go on through it. It doesn't matter what's opposing you, you're going to get beyond the obstacle. You really are. Jesus said it, didn't he? We know the verses so well. That little seed, that little mustard seed of faith can move a huge, insurmountable mountain. It really can. And David carries this key onto the battlefield. He's got a sling in his hand. He doesn't, you know, really care what's out there and screaming at the armies of Israel. He doesn't care. He doesn't look the part. He's not wearing Saul's armor. He's, he hasn't had any military training or military background. He's a shepherd. He's got the most despised vocation. In the nation, the lowest of the low. And then suddenly, he comes with a key of trust. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that has no covenant with God? Has no relationship with God? How dare he oppose God's people like this? How dare he threaten the people, the armies? They were running for their lives. The men that should have been taking hold. Of the land, the men that should have been protecting the nation were running. And then a little boy comes with a key of trust. He says, boys, we're going through this door. He gets despised by his brother who says, listen, why aren't you looking after the sheep? Who have you left your sheep with? See, voices will rise up even from your own ranks to discourage the faith and the trust that God has forged within your spirit in the hidden years of your life. I'm telling you now, don't listen to those voices, whether, you know, whether they're family voices, whether they're voices that you associate with, don't listen to them. You don't have to be rude to them. You just walk on by and keep trusting God and get the job done like David did. Oh yeah. And with one stone, he takes Goliath out. David had this amazing ability to trust God. So he, he goes from the lowest point in his life and he's launched as a young man 
into the highest point of his life. The kid's got an amazing career. The kid is off to an amazing start. He's the new rising star. But the rising star soon becomes the falling star as a jealous old king that's hard in his heart, that no longer trusts God, begins to get aggressive towards him and is threatened by his spirit and his life and his, and his, his, his vision for great things, threatened. And before you know it, whilst David is serving the king he loves, you see, he loves King Saul. He's unaware of all of the stuff that's going on in Saul's heart, completely oblivious to it. He just wants to serve the king. He just wants to help him. He just wants to submit to him. He just wants to play his instrument and ease this king of the evil spirit that was attacking him. Yet Saul can't rid himself of his jealousy and he throws a spear one day at David and he tries to kill him. David runs for his life. David runs for his life. And it looks to bring our minds back to the verse that Joseph spoke about in Genesis to his brothers. It looks as if evil is prevailing again. God took an evil moment when Goliath stood on the field and defied the, the, the armies of Israel. He took a, an evil moment and he turned it for good. He turned it for David's good. He turned it for the nation's good. God triumphed over evil. But now, in a change of circumstances, evil now again is prevailing in David's life. And he's running for his life. He's running from the threats of King Saul and he's ousted from the nation that he loves to be a fugitive in a wilderness. There's so many messages here for all of our lives. How unpredictable life is. How sudden circumstances can change. You can be at the height one day of life and then suddenly you come crashing down. And it's not a reflection on your spirituality. It's not a reflection on the fact that, you know, whether you've been doing good or bad. It's just life. Life hits. Life comes unexpectedly with circumstances, with situations that are outside of our control. And suddenly, they communicate a message to us. Are you going to trust God now? Are you going to depend on Him when, when all of your support has gone. Maybe today those questions are very real to you. Maybe today you have genuine concerns and worries and fears because circumstance is pressing you. Pressing you, prodding you, pushing you. Wanting to get into your skin and into your head and dominate the direction of your life. Take the key of trust. Hold on. The Bible in, Rome, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this. Let me read it to you. It's going to encourage you. Listen to this verse. It says, but without faith it is impossible to please God or please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Let's keep it there for a moment. Did you notice that it says, but without faith it's impossible to please God. Without trust. That's all God is asking from you and I today. Simple childlike faith. Simple trust. 
It doesn't say without money, it's impossible to please, please God. Without a big social network, it's impossible to please God. Without a flashy car and a flashy house and all of the bling that the world tells you you've got to have, it's impossible to please God. No, it doesn't say that, church. What it does say is without faith, without trust, it's impossible to please God. And I want to tell you today, whoever you are in this place, you have an ability to trust God. You have an ability to put your faith in God. You have an ability in the crisis and in the storm and in the circumstances of life to kindle afresh a faith and a trust in God to get you through. It's this faith that he's pleased with. It's this faith and this trust when the going gets tough and when it's hard and difficult and dark. It's this faith, my friends, that he rewards. It really is. It really is. When circumstances come, when circumstances are hard, Hold that key of trust confidently. It's going to take you through every single closed door and bring you right on in into everything that God's destined for your life. He's a rewarder. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and keep their faith toward him. David is on the run. David is going from left to right zigzagging all over the way, all over the place. His peace is gone. His place at the palace is gone. He's the new outlaw. He's on the wanted list. And Saul is not just leaving it there whilst David's running for his life in the countryside. Saul is hounding him with, with an army of men trying to hunt him down. He wants to rid him once and for all. How strange that a young man can be such a threat to such a great king. How strange the human heart can be that once it's turned and once it's become bitter and once it's lost its connection with God, how evil its actions can be. David runs. He's hiding behind rocks. He's running into caves. Fallen. Stumbling. And that happens for four long years. Four years he's on the run in the countryside, trying to hide everywhere that he can from this terrible man called King Saul that represents the people of God. Running everywhere. Until the end, until in the end, David makes this statement. I believe it's in 1 Samuel chapter 27. You can, you, can, um, you can look at it when you get home. He makes a statement like this. One day, I'm going to die at the hand of King Saul. One day, I'm going to make a mistake and I'm suddenly going to fall headlong into the trap that Saul is set in for me. And I'm going to die at his hands. Every single one of us have had days like that. Every single one of us have had days where fear comes upon us. And we reach a conclusion that, are, that is outside of that faith that we've placed and that trust that we've placed in God. 
And David is probably at one of the low points, one of the lowest points of his life in this chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Because he reaches his limit. He reaches the end and he says, one day I can't see my way through this. I'm getting hunted. I'm getting hunted like a wounded animal. I can't see my way through. And I'm going to die at the hands of King Saul. And as a result of that pressure, as a result of that fear, he does something that probably he never thought he would do. He runs into the Philistine land. Just years before he'd slain Goliath the giant. Just years before he had slain this aggressive obstacle that was standing in the way of Israel's freedom. And he had brought great humiliation to the Philistines. And now, because of fear, he's actually, actually running into the arms of the enemy. That's how desperate he was. And he runs there. And he feigns madness before King Akesh, the Philistine king. And he acts like a madman and he's spitting all over himself. And he's pretending to be crazy just to protect him and his men. And suddenly through a strange change in the chapters of his life, he goes into a period now where he's entertaining the Philistines. And they're building a rapport with him and they're building a relationship with him until he becomes part of their company. And they accept him. In fact, they give him a city to live in called Ziklag. And David and his 600 men settle in the city of Ziklag. And suddenly now more kindness is coming from an evil king than is coming from a supposed godly king. More kindness and care for his future and for his present is coming from a king that should have no compassion on him than the king who he, who he had won a victory for. King Saul had chased him out of the country. King Akesh, the Philistine king, invited him in, provided for him. Do you know, I wonder if David thought when he was slaying Goliath on that day many, many years before, I wonder if he thought that one day he would be living in the very land that the Philistines occupied. I wondered, I wonder if David ever thought that he would go to Gath, the hometown of Goliath, to visit King Achish and ask for mercy. In a strange, strange concoction of events. Akesh has compassion on him. David gets situated in Ziklag. Let me read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now David has probably been in Ziklag now. Maybe for 18 months they had settled there. They had a future there. They had no future back in Israel. They had no security or welfare back in the land that they loved. 
But now he's in Ziklag, he's settled, and he's gone away on a campaign for three days. And suddenly, all of his security is about to come to an end. All of his security and his future and his well-being for his family and his men is about to come crashing down. We read it in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1 to 7. It says this, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there. For small and great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive too. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathia the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathia brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them without fail and recover all. An amazing account, a sudden change of circumstances. David had been supporting King Achish in preparation for a new battle against Israel. And he had given loyalty to King Achish that he would be his personal bodyguard, David. Achish's personal bodyguard against a new battle that was ensuing against the people of God, Israel. Of course, David was never going to follow through with his promise to Achish. But that's how deep in David was into Philistine country. Suddenly, the princes of the Philistines protest against David's part in the battle and they don't want him there. They don't want him by Achish just in case his heart turns and they protest. And David has to go back to his city, Ziklag. Little did he know that his wives and his children had been taken. The wives and the children of the 600 men that were with him, they had all been taken too by the Amalekites as they raided and they burnt that city to the ground. After three days' journey, getting back to that place, all they see in front of them was ashes and ruin. Ashes and ruin. And you can imagine the scene, the horror of it all, the loss, the darkness, all of the confusing voices and all of the, the, the distressing emotions of his men. 
And they have no direction within themselves. They rise up, as we've read, to stone David, to blame David. Because David's the leader. And with any responsible position, there comes very often challenges that only the leader can face. And David's men rise up against him. And David's men want blood. They want his blood. They want his head on the block. But here again comes this key of trust that he'd held as a young man. Here again comes this key of trust that he takes and he puts it to this, this incredible impossibility. And he encourages himself, the Bible says, in the Lord. He encourages himself. You know, some of the greatest conversations you can have are conversations with yourself. Some of the, some of the ways through some of the most difficult times are those moments where you speak to yourself and you encourage yourself in God and you remind yourself that he is going to get you through. You remind yourself of all of the good things that he's done for you formally. And you encourage your strength and you, you, you strengthen yourself in God. And that's what David did. And he consulted with God. God, shall I pursue them? Will I overtake them? Will I recover everything that I've lost? God, I love it. I love it how God answers David. He doesn't answer with a voice of sympathy. He doesn't look at the scene and begin to magnify all of the, the situation and the loss of it all. He simply declares to David the necessary direction and the obedience required. David, pursue them. You will recover everything. Everything. It's in that moment. It's in that moment that you're either going to trust God when you can't outside of yourself trace him. It's either in that moment that you're going to trust that still small voice and go with it and put your full weight on it. Or you're going to turn away and bury your head in the sand amidst all of the events that's happened to you. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Today, your ziklag could be the loss of a loved one. A situation that's occurred in your life where you've simply been brought down to the ground. Your welfare, your security, your, your, your future, everything that you'd built is burning before your eyes. Just like it was for this man, David. You've got to hold that key of trust. And take it and put it into that obstacle to see it move. You've got to believe again in your heart. That while 
Maybe a loved one's left you. A best friend has left you, deserted you. Whilst a situation has happened in your life that you have no idea as to why it's occurred. You've got to lift out that key of trust. And you've got to put it in that door that seems so tightly shut. Trust God. Trust God today. Don't be discouraged. Telling you now, there's some people here this morning, your heart is so heavy with discouragement. So heavy. Weighed down. Because one thing after another thing after another thing has just hit your confidence out of you. Struck you down. And then all of these voices around you, you need to do this, you need to do that. And you're just completely left confused. Completely left wondering what to do. David had 600 men to contend with. 600 voices. Fierce, aggressive, violent voices. And these were his friends. He got down. He encouraged himself. In the Lord. And suddenly direction came. Did he feel like following that direction? No. He was weary from three days of journey. Weary from three days of traveling. But in the midst of all of that confusion, God's word comes to him and instructs him to get up off his feet Get up out of the discouragement. Get up out of the pain. Get up out of the darkness. Get up out of all of the difficulties and all of the crises and all of the pressing voices that want him to end in the ruin. Get up out of it and go after what's been taken. Some of you today are going to get a brand new resolve to go after the peace you've lost. Some of you today are going to get a brand new spirit to go after the relationship, the friendship that's betrayed you and left you. Some of you today are going to go after the confidence that's been broken over years. Some of you today are going to get up. You're going to get up. And that encouragement in the Lord is going to enable you to get up and go after everything, everything that seems to have gone. That's what God does. That's what His Word does. That's what His life does. It gives you strength to get up. Get up and go. Get up and go. We may call, we may call the message that. Get up and go. Get up and go after that which you've lost. Get up and go after that which the enemy has taken because God says to you, you're going to recover it all and more than you ever imagined, more than you ever dreamed. You're going to recover it. You're going to recover it all. We won't call it that. Let it all out. Church, listen, listen. You're going to recover everything that the enemy's taken. Your dignity, your purity, 
your well-being, your wholeness, your health. You're going to recover it. Go after it. Go after it. Get up and go after it. Pursue it. Trust God. Trust God when you can't trace Him. Hold on to God when He seems to be a million miles away. Center yourself. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Listen to His voice. He will speak. He will give you direction. He will enable you to do what you feel that you cannot do. Just listen. And He will speak to you. Amen. Amen. Joe's going to sing right now. And in a few moments, maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your life. Right now, just after Joe has sung to us, I'm going to give you an opportunity to open your heart and ask Jesus to come into your heart. You say, well, Dave... I haven't got much of a life to give to him. He just wants your trust. He just wants that little seed, that little cry. Help me. He loves your life. Thank God he loves us. He doesn't mind what condition he finds our life in because he knows if he can just get into it, He can make all the difference. He knows if he can just get into your mind that's racked with confusion. He knows if he can just get into your heart that feels so empty and lonely. If he can just get into your life, he'll make a huge difference. So Joe's going to sing. And then in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer with you. And you're going to see just how powerful prayer is. Right now, you're going to say, Jesus, please help me. Suddenly, I'll tell you what's going to happen before you go out of those doors. Peace is going to come right into the center of your life. Meaningful life, wholeness, a relationship with God is going to land in your little life that's broken and bruised and battered, just like mine was, and it's going to change it. It's going to transform it. It's not going to wrap you up in cotton wool. You're still going to have to go and meet the old ugly world out there, but I'm telling you now, you're going to have a brand new resolve. You're going to have a strength of spirit and a trust to get through every obstacle that you face. Listen to Joe as he sings. And then we're going to pray. I see shadow. You see hope. I see broken. You see. Yeah. 
There's nothing to tell you that you can make with me. You wash me in mercy. you like to pray a prayer with me to ask Jesus into your life if this morning you want to open your life you're not going to become religious you're not going to go to a monastery or dress up as a nun you're going to get a relationship with Jesus you're going to find meaning for life. If that's you this morning, I want to pray a prayer with you right now. Quietly in your heart. Just repeat these words after me. This is what we live for. Quietly. 
Say this, Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my life, come into my heart. I ask you to forgive me my sin. Make me clean. Thank you that I am forgiven. Thank you that you will be the peace that I need. Thank you for saving me. I believe you died. And I believe that you are alive in me. Now, whilst eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you lift your hand up and acknowledge that? We're going to give you a little, a little Bible. Maybe there's one person here this morning. You prayed that prayer. Lift your hand up. Don't be afraid. That's right, my love. Don't be afraid. That's it. That's it. There's hands here. Hands down the front. Just keep your hands raised just a little moment. We're going to give you a little Bible and something you can take away with. Jesus, Lord, I thank you for every person in this place this morning. I thank you, Jesus. Lord, whilst we may be battling with things in our lives, whilst we may be struggling with issues that seem to be so real and won't go away, we thank you that trust in you is our way through. Trust in you is the way through into new life. Church, let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing. Do you know what? David did recover everything. He recovered everything. And he never went back. Listen. He never went back to that burnt city, Ziklag. God had brand new things for him, brand new destiny, and we're going to get into that next week, but come on church, let's lift our voice up to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.